My name is Karina Harney, Playboy's Playmate of the Year, 1992. And I'm Echo Johnson, Miss January, 1993. Welcome to the Bunny Chronicles. Let's go. All right. I'm recording audio, so there you go. I I can never like uh, left. This is going to be your left side. I swear yeah. I'm a pro podcaster, even though I don't can't figure out my headphone <laughs> sitch. <laughs> okay. Good. Can I get a little there more? Let's see here. This is connected to that. It's a little uh, jumbled up. Okay. Cool. Got it. All right. Okay. So three. Two, one. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another edition of the Bunny Chronicles. Today, we have a surprise for you guys. Um, We are going to have a rotating group of people coming in as guest co-hosts. They are all from Playboy. There will be some Playmates. And today, we have John Champion joining us, um, who also um, is from Play, worked at Playboy, and he's a colleague of mine. And he was kind enough to... um, let us use the studio at Roddenberry <laughs> Foundation. So this is really, really, really cool. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. So nice John, why don't you cave. give give everyone the lowdown who you are? And sure. So I mean, my current job is that I podcast, and I got to talk about science fiction and Star Trek and big ideas and philosophical ideas and science fiction, and that's very cool to me. And of course, that was all started in the 60s by another kind of forward-thinking uh, <laughs> lightning rod of a person, and that was Gene Roddenberry. Exactly. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, the parallels in my life. So I worked at Playboy in the early 90s, and um, and now I'm here, and I think like, wow, here's another guy, this other iconic pop culture figure mm-hmm. who kept everything, kept every scrap of paper, every memo, every photo, everything. So we literally, on the other side of that wall, have this huge archive room with decades and decades of materials. And, That's right. And you know, the, the parallels are are close. Very similar yeah. to, you know, yeah. what, what Hugh Hefner did yeah. throughout, you know, the 60 years of uh, Playboy. I mean, he was the, the consummate archivist. Yeah, so. 100%. Very yeah. cool. So what uh, what years were you at Playboy, your position, and how many? Yeah, so I, I want to say that as soon as I moved to New York, to go to school. So mm-hmm. I've been late 90. Okay. Um, I, I, I was one of those people just kind of banged on the door like, hey, I'd like a job here, please. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I remember uh, I remember the HR manager, Jerry Nobile at the time, I, I finally got in the door and she just said like, she didn't even look me in the eye. She was like, are you here for the girls? Oh my gosh, really? That is classic. And I just go like, no, 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 no. I'm a journalism student. I I want to start with the best. Right. I will do anything. And I kind of had this head for trivia for, you know, and and it became helpful. So I I started out as an intern in the publisher's office at the time. The publisher was a guy named Mike Perlis. And uh, Hef was still very much involved. Yeah. But the 90s were this interesting kind of transition period. They were trying out 
Definitely. So many things, right? Well, it was it yeah. was the dawn of the World Wide Web, you yep. know, and that really changed yeah. everything. And, uh, you know, Playboy was definitely behind the eight ball on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had a really uh, unique experience with that because I realized, you know, the, the opportunity in that. And I went ahead and I created a website. I taught right. myself how to build a website, membership base, et cetera. Um, Playboy then, you know, reached out and said, you know, you you can't do this and that and whatever. But I came to an agreement with them that I could use the term Playmate and and then uh, do yeah. the registered trademark for Playboy. So I ended up having this uh, website that I then went on and produced. Um, five years I had it and I produced uh, 36,640 images that I own today because I would have to post a gallery every week. Wow. Wow. But with that said, I, I was able to secure the best makeup artists, the photographers, and I knew the sure. look I was going after be from being a playmate. Sure. So, um, and then at that point, when I did get the approval, I reached out to Christy Hefter and I had a conversation with her and I said, you know, this is a really big thing and it's not going away and yeah. it's probably something, you know, department you guys should, you know, do. So, okay. You know, what's wild is that from that time, so I, I started in late 90, early 91 as an intern for the publisher and then right. that period came to an end, but other people, I mean, thank goodness I did a good enough job. They were like, wait, we, we want John now. So I went over to PR and then I went to graphics and then back to PR. And I, I stayed for five years right? and kind of an assistant role, but learning every possible thing that I could from awesome. anybody who I met. But as you're saying this, I'm thinking, you know, I was there during the transition of we had an inter-office, I, I guess, intranet, which was really good for about you know, sending an email. Yeah. That was it. About right? it. Yeah. yeah. That was the scope of technology right. then. <laughs> By the time I moved to Chicago and Playboy.com was saying, and there were these little, like, I, I don't even know what you'd call them now, like an e-magazine attempt. Right. Every now, all bitmap, black and white, yep. looked terrible. But by the time I got to Chicago, I remember Playboy.com was a reality or soon to be a reality um, like Eileen Kent, that was yep. her department. Yeah, the dot-com you know? department, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember being amazed going to somebody's like work area and there was this scanner and it was like half the size of a VW. And, <laughs> and it weighed a ton, I'm sure. It, it did, it did. And they were like, no, look, we can scan a picture and it only takes like three minutes and it's a drum <laughs> scanner and this thing costs like 30 grand. Totally. And I, I'm, I'm, my mind is blown, right? And of course, now in 2022, yeah, it's like, you, know, you got to buy, yeah. you know, buy a $100 scanner, it'll do as good a job. Maybe not quite as good, but I, yeah, yeah. I, just the technology change is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that was a really interesting time. I mean, you saw a ton of really, you know, massive changes, um, you know, and obviously they, they did catch up with it and, you know, realize yeah. that it was a big component of, of what the world was going going to be moving forward. Um, yeah. So so early 90s. Yeah. And when did you leave? 90, 95. 95. So I was there for a good almost five years. Awesome. Yeah. And I love yeah. that you hopped around from to different departments. And yeah. that is something that I that Karina and I both have found, um, you know, when we've interviewed the guests for the first season. Um, not so much hopping around. Well, like obviously the photographers, like that was their sure. role, but there was a handful of people that were able to work in different departments. And it was, it was definitely by design because Hef knew what you were good at. 
mm-hmm. and where you would thrive. Mm-hmm. And it really was just the creme de la creme of talent that was at that company. I, to this day, yeah. I will say that the most talented people yeah. I have ever worked with in a professional environment were all there. Yeah. And it, it was cool just getting to know people there, mm-hmm. particularly at that time in my life. You know, I'm, I'm in school getting a journalism degree, then I'm out and I'm just... And you get to go in right into Playboy. That's huge. Exactly. Huge. And, and going from department to department, getting to know people and just getting that helping hand. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's something small. Mm-hmm. Here, take a look at these lines from an interview what would you pull to put on those three little pictures at the bottom it of the It always page? was a group effort. It, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I was rarely ever afraid to ask questions. Right. There are a few people there who intimidated me. I won't lie. <laughs> of course. Of I course. mean, there's some yeah. big players there. Me yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was rarely afraid to ask questions or just get to know somebody who did something different than what I did. Mm-hmm. And particularly when I moved from New York to Chicago, mm-hmm. And that was a whole other learning yeah, Totally different, now. yeah. And I want to give a shout out to, um, he, he is long gone, but somebody who I really considered a mentor, Asa Baber, uh, wrote the men column for the magazine. And oh. I met him when he came through to New York to do a speaking engagement. And when I moved to Chicago, I reached out to him and he was so kind to invite me out to lunch and and just sort mentor of mentor you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And give, give me this uh, uh, like acclimation to Playboy in Chicago. He passed away. He had ALS, and uh, he documented his diagnosis uh-huh. and what was happening in his column uh-huh. in the magazine. It was That's really cool. quite a blow. So yeah. I um I'd never heard of him and mm-hmm. and I say this every single time we interview somebody, we pull out this golden nugget of history and learn yeah. more about Playboy. So I'll have to do some research into that and learn about him. The, Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that. the great thing was that, you know, Ace was there for a long time and then they countered the men column with Cynthia Heimel's women column. Uh-huh. And for a number of years, you just sort of turned the page and there was Ace's column and Cynthia's column about just sort of current events, social, mm-hmm. topical, whatever. But how does this impact the definition of what being a man is now mm-hmm. or a woman? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'd go at each other. Sometimes they would find common ground. It was a really cool way to have that conversation in those pages. Absolutely. And and again, totally indicative of all the journalism in that magazine. It, 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 it was it was objective. It was like yeah. it was presented and, you know, you decide, you know, it was never like, you know, like media is today, you know, well, I, I, like I think pushing I, falsehoods or creating yeah. these narratives that are untrue. I mean, I think what's interesting, because I... I I, I don't disagree with you. I think there's a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of uh, a nuance or a difference in the media landscape, though. That, that's, that's true. Worth understanding. That's true. I feel like Playboy always had, um, particularly when it found its footing, mm-hmm. starting from the '60s forward, mm-hmm. um, had this liberal, progressive, socially conscious point of view exactly. that, that was always baked into it. But at the same time the the rigors of journalism were very clear mm-hmm. in the magazine. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you take a magazine that was one of the first national platforms to come out against the Vietnam War yeah. or for individual drug rights. Like these are things that Time magazine, it takes time mm-hmm. <laughs> for them to catch up to. But the nice thing about Playboy is that they could do it in a way that was so studied and thoughtful exactly. and thorough. Exactly. You know, that... Yeah, you might be reading a point of view, 
but you're getting very good information to back up that point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and obviously, you know, that's always a, that's always the thing. Like I read Playboy for the articles. And again, just from doing um, the show and just doing all the research, I had never taken the time to sit down and read anything. And my mind was blown away yeah. when I really started yeah. reading some stuff. And then the interview with uh, Jim Peterson. Yeah. And that really put it all into perspective. And I was like, of course it was like that. <laughs> he's, he's one of the people who really intimidated me. <laughs> because, I mean, seriously, because I was like, you know, 20, 21, 22 sure. years old. I just thought, like, he's the smartest person here. He's like, so interesting. He knows everything. But And it, now I thought your interview with him was great. And he's somebody who I'd love to just pick his brain again. Yeah. You know? That's funny but, you said 23 years old because that's exactly mm-hmm. the age that he was when he came in. And he yeah. also went right into Playboy out of college. Right. And he went into the position as a staff writer and have said, uh, perfect, you're a young man. Go out into the world yeah. and write about what's going on out there with the sexual revolution and yeah. complete freedom. Yeah, yeah. I, and that that's, again, what's so important about the magazine is just, I really feel like today we've lost something where media consumption is so fractured. Yes. Like, it's not even that there are points of view, because there are, and, and news masquerades as opinion and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um but you don't have a really central, strong force right. anymore to drive a social conversation. I think that's where Playboy is at its strongest. Absolutely, is I agree. People could agree or disagree with the ideas, but at least they had this very thorough base of knowledge coming from the It magazine. generated a conversation. Yeah. And the best writers doing mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. I always thought, you know, if you said that you only read Playboy for the articles, first of all, Get new material because that, that joke is trite and needs right. to be retired. Uh, I mean that 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 joke started in that, 1953. Okay? That joke is trite. Yeah, I love it, that. It needs to be retired <laughs> yes. at this point. Um, but I always felt like if you were only reading Playboy for the articles, you were missing something. And if you didn't read Playboy for the articles, you were also missing something because it was this total editorial package mm-hmm. that says, "Okay, look." food and drink and great photography and a conversation about sex and sexuality and sexual roles. Like this is all important to talk about Mm -hmm. in a shame free environment. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was a completely interactive uh, magazine and it was, you know, revolutionary and, and, Mm -hmm. and nobody had done anything like that, nor moving forward will that type of publishing exist again yeah. you know what, what i love is, is when you look back and you see all the places that the magazine broke ground yes and i love i'll bring it back to what i do now so you know here i am doing this show uh, multiple shows about science fiction and star trek but almost always with a social relevance mm-hmm. about social issues mm-hmm. and we were talking about this is years ago we were talking about an episode of star trek called the outcast and this came out in the 90s and it it pushed the envelope a little bit, but then it didn't quite enough in its addressing of uh, sexuality and sexual roles. You had a planet where everybody was androgynous. Oh, and if you expressed as male or female, you were the outcast. And, Whoa, that's so interesting. Okay. It's the climate of our times right now. Yeah. <laughs> and even to the extent that they would be reprogrammed right. if they expressed as, you know, so it was like this discussion about things like, uh, uh, you know, 
gender therapy and, and mm-hmm. these awful things that, right. that still happen now, right? Um, and doing a little research, I think it was 1955, 1955 that Playboy published The Crooked Man yep. by Charles Beaumont. Mm-hmm. And what I love, see, this is what I love about the power of a magazine at the time, where you don't have a million fractured voices. They put out this magazine to this audience of, you know, the urbane gentlemen, right? Right, you know, right, right. Um, positing a world where homosexuality is the norm uh-huh. and heterosexuality is persecuted, right? The uh-huh. way that in mm-hmm. 1955, mm-hmm. homosexuals were persecuted. Yep, yep. If they were even out. Right. Because most of the rarely. time they were. You yeah. Know? yeah, rarely. And I'm sure that they got a barrage of letters in the mail. Oh, for people sure. either praising or condemning the magazine for, for sure. this choice. And if I recall correctly, they only ran one negative letter, representative, I'm sure, of many, many more voices. Sure. And the line in response from the editors might have been Hef himself. Because at that time, was for early. sure. Yeah, yeah he was Hef, the editor. Or might have been Speck, uh, A.C. Spektorsky, just wrote back like one sentence and said, you know, if uh, in a world where persecuting heterosexuals is wrong, then surely the opposite must be true as well. Wow. And it was something along those lines. Yeah. You just really put that yeah. that dissenting voice in its place and saying, like, no, 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 no. This is the metaphor you need to understand. Exactly. You know? Love it. So I love what a, stories. Yes. Like yeah. What what a yeah. again, thank you for sharing your history. And and again, I just learned so much. Well, look, I, I was the trivia nerd. So <laughs> I, I think that was why partly I was able to stick around and bounce around as much as I did, because sure. you know, pre-Google. We could be there in the office and be like, <laughs> hey, what's, you know, what year was Hef born? I mean, 1926. Like, how did we okay, even you know, survive? I know. It's so weird. Right. Like, what, like, we had pagers and stuff. It was so bizarre. Right, right. right. <laughs> and, and I always got a thrill, like, you know, if my name showed up somewhere, because it, I was just speaking about A.C. Spektorsky, and I, I was really interested in the lives of these people and of the course. careers of these people who shaped the magazine, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was somebody who I... Some years and years after he passed away, uh, a, a newspaper or somebody wanted information about him. Uh-huh. And I guess whoever is in the office with figured like, well, John will probably know. So we'll know where to look yeah. to find Go out. Go to trivia. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then that, that became my thing. That's know? awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell our, our listeners, what is your podcast so they can sure. find it? Yeah. So if people go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. Okay. Uh, R-O-D-D-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y. I know a very short, easy name. Um, then they'll find a multitude of shows. Okay. Uh, there's Mission Log, there's Mission Log Live, there's Sci-Fi 5, Trek Files is one where cool. we do kind of what I was describing before. We go to the archive, we pull a document, right. and then we get somebody who is an expert on that document. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. really lovely. You know, we had, uh, she passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, Dorothy Fontana, who, speaking of people who broke ground, in 1965, 66, she's Jean's assistant oh, wow. at that time. Interesting. And then changes her name in order to get scripts through the process, mm-hmm. going as Michael Richards. Because, because who, she was a woman. Yeah, because who would believe exactly. a woman sci-fi exactly. writer? 
on national TV. Wow. And uh, so sometimes went by Michael, sometimes went as DC. So people wouldn't associate Dorothy, mm-hmm. you know, with, and, um, clever. yeah, yeah. Clever, but unfortunate. That was, you know, but that was of the, the reality, time, that's what yeah. you had to do. But I love it. We'll go in and we'll pull a, a document and then have that person in here in this room right. to tell us their story. That's awesome. And I just, I, I, and that's why I love what you do. Thank you. Because you and Karina, you're doing this oral history of, this cultural force right. that I feel like was it has always been misunderstood a little bit. Always. And now the, the magazine doesn't have a voice for itself. Well, the magazine doesn't exist. Because like, there isn't a magazine. No, it's yeah. a brand now. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah. you know, Playboy died when Hef died. Yeah. I mean, yeah. period. That's the way, you know, and, I view it. And, and it's a damn shame because yeah. there are, are smart people. I think you can assemble a team of smart people again who can have this culture shaping voice Mm -hmm. but i don't know who's gonna back it and like you just said it is a brand but it's a brand without that voice yeah and 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 you know speaking to that it was unfortunate you know because cooper definitely was a very very big you know uh part of um of of knowing that he was going to go into the magazine at some point and follow in his father's footsteps he wanted to do that and he did and Unfortunately, at that point, you know, Playboy had been sold, I think, seven years previously. And so the Hefners only maintained 30% ownership. And I I swear to God, it was like the day Hef passed, the next day at Playboy headquarters, um, the full rebranding started. And that's when they said they're going to do non-nude. Yeah. And then they were going to do a digital magazine and Cooper saw the writing on the wall and he's like, I cannot be a part of this. I'm Good for out. him. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's why I'm not running that company, but I don't know what the right combination is and the right venue is to have that voice. But I, I do think that it is a voice that's lacking because look, for all the negative things we can say about the media landscape today, mm-hmm. the good thing is that there is a national social conversation about gay and trans rights and bi rights. Mm-hmm. And, and that's good. That is a good more thing. than ever, more yes. than ever. And yeah. that is the kind of thing that Playboy would have been pushing as part of the conversation. How do we, I mean, look, you've got the, you know, quote, don't say gay bill in Florida. This is exactly the kind of thing that I would expect to open Playboy to the forum section and yes. see an article by Jim Peterson absolutely. just absolutely destroying absolutely. what's going on down there. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, I, I just don't think that there's anybody that could have come in and, and taken it over after yeah. have died. You know, yeah. I think it I think it is exactly how it was supposed to be. And it was yeah. 60 years of incredible publication. Uh, and Hep was hands on until the day that he died. Yeah. And I there's a part of me that's that, you know, what I'm I'm happy that that magazine will stand as it was. And I stand by that Playboy does not exist today. Yeah. And it will never yeah. occur again. Yes, there is Playboy.com, but it's a brand. Sure. And so you know what? We were we were fortunate to be a part of it. We were fortunate to, you know, take that journey. And and everybody from Playboy will say the same thing. So with that said, yes. I want to ask you two questions okay. that we have asked all of our guests um, at the end of it, at the end of the interview um, pertaining to your experience at Playboy. So three words that describe half. 
Mm. Oh, let's see. Um, thoughtful. Um, and, and I say that in the way that it, it just not emotionally thoughtful, but intellectually thoughtful. Yes. Um, one of my favorite things was that I would, <laughs> I still have them at home somewhere. If a memo would come by that was something that Hef wrote, like commenting on a cartoon uh-huh. or whatever, and it would be like nine pages long, uh-huh. single space. Detailed. And I was like, this is a journalism education mm-hmm. in a memo, mm-hmm. right? So his thoughtfulness about the details mm-hmm. were, you know, were absolutely incredible. Um, trailblazer. Absolutely. To be sure, you know. Um, and uh, an advocate. Absolutely. You know, I think his advocacy is is an important part of his legacy. And yeah, you can point to all the things that are very clear, like uh, getting behind the civil rights issues and drug reform laws and uh, abortion repeal laws and everything that he personally or the magazine or the foundation worked toward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that part of the conversation the magazine was pushing mm-hmm. was a form of advocacy. Absolutely, you know? it was. So I think that was critical to his legacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you had the chance to say anything to have before he passed or in memoriam, what would you say? You know, I, I feel like the easy way, and it's interesting, and in the, it, the whole time that I was there, I didn't actually meet Hef, but it was really lovely. Before I left, he signed a book for me mm-hmm. that came through the inter-office mail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I still treasure that. It yeah, was really course. cool. You know? yeah. um, so I think the obvious one is thank you. And I feel like a lot of people would that's, say that yeah, as that's well. That's the majority of you know? people to say thank yeah. you. But I would also say in two words, well done. Bravo. You know, talk like about that. a life well lived. On by, his terms. By your own terms, by your own... Re- isn't that the American dream? To just live how you is. want to live? Many ups and downs in there. Many trials in there. That's part of it. But that is part of it. Yeah. So, well done. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, we well we just had a full interview with you then about we Playboy. Did. I like it. We knocked that out. And I've got more to go. <laughs> thank That's you. That's awesome. Okay. All right. So, let's move on to... We're going to get into... Um, I'm going to stop and save this, shall I? Okay. Yep. All That's right. actually so a perfect idea. 